0: Hello and welcome to the Upon Further Review podcast brought to you by Field Street Baptist Church. On this podcast, your host Cody Kitchen sits across the table from Dr. John Hall as he reviews his Sunday sermon from the week before. Welcome to Upon Further Review podcast, the show that takes a deep dive into Pastor John's sermon from the Sunday before. I'm your host Cody Kitchen and joined with me as always is Dr. John Hall. Good afternoon. And today we are going to talk about his sermon this past Sunday in Luke chapter 22 verse 47 through 53 with the title of The Deadly Irony of a Kiss. So as we get this episode started, as you prepare this message, what are some things that came to mind? I suppose one thought that readily
1: came to mind was on a relational level, this must have really stung Jesus And I can't imagine what it would look like from his point of view that one of the disciples would identify and betray him in this way with with the kiss. And my other thought was, knowing full well what Jesus would have to endure, that he still resolutely chose perfect obedience to the will of the father and I think if for no other reason Jesus is worthy of our utter respect and worship so that that's what came into my mind that the sting how, how ironic that Judas would use a kiss to identify the one that should be arrested interesting
0: it is interesting And you got right to it on Sunday and um, explained to us what a kiss is (laughs) (laughs) and even in in culturally of, of what that meant. And you start in verse 47 and 48 where Judas, as you just said, identifies Jesus with a kiss. And you gave background of a kiss and how back in that time it was a gesture of honor and affection. Yet in this way we see that Judas would betray the Lord. And Ju- Jesus responds in another warning to Judas as you um, made apparent in these verses. And so my question is, can you just simply expound more about how ironic this kiss from Judas is?
1: You've touched upon it already. and I set out in the sermon to explain that a kiss back then and what it signified and that it particular, excuse me, particularly the significance of a kiss on the cheek between a disciple and his rabbi. The affection, um, the respect, the honor that was attributed to the kiss from the disciple to the rabbi, and I find it ironic that Judas chose that means to identify Jesus as the one who should be seized and that he did that with a kiss. And it seems to me it was very clever in that no one would really be suspicious of that. Mm -hmm. But as Mark tells us in his gospel, it was a prearranged sign that Judas told the soldiers when the one I kiss is the one you need to arrest. In, In essence, I'm paraphrasing. Right. And so I find just the irony of that in and, and Jesus' response, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Mm. Interesting to me what was going on in that exchange. One commentator I read said that even in that exchange, Jesus was demonstrating mercy mm. to Judas, which I, I really had to think long and hard about that. I'm not surprised by that because I, I, all of us can see that in Jesus' Extending even to the one who would betray him and the sting of that that he would still right to the very last moment extend is this how you betray the son of man with a kiss Judas You're like Are you sure you want to do this you know. so we, and we fleshed all of that out what was going on there's a lot going on it's very complex yeah. but I, in thinking about What the commentator identified, it was, it made me stop and think, because I've not viewed it that way. Um, I didn't give much thought to it, near the thought that I did in preparation for the sermon, how ironic it was that Judas chose to use a kiss, especially with the the cultural norms. And I just don't, I mean, that's like flying right under the radar. He just walked right up, as any disciple would, embraced his rabbi and gave him a kiss on the cheek. No one thought, and then, and then it started to unfold, and, and the disciples began to observe what was going on, and then they sprung into, to action, asking Jesus, "Shall we take up arms?" You know, and and then Peter of course <laughs> chops off Malchus's ear.
0: That's what he does. Anyway, best.
1: I, so to answer your question, I, I think that's the irony that I see is the the use of a kiss, which no one really would have seen coming because of the way a kiss was used back then, what it what it communicated. Does that make sense? No, yeah. Yeah.
0: That's good. And I I try. I don't do it perfectly every time, but I try to get my Monday mornings. I always go back and to what I write down from notes, from your sermons. And um, this Monday I was really – it probably helped because it was right after PPJ as well, so mm-hmm. we had questions. But I was really stuck on – not stuck on in, like, trying to figure it out, but mm-hmm. just – as you just stated, just never really thought about the irony of a kiss. Mm -hmm. And as I kind of started going more, realizing, and I don't want to get too much into it because we're going to be there in these next few weeks, just how ironic this whole trial and this whole thing, how ironic all of it really is. Mm -hmm. And as you step back and kind of take an overview look of it, you see how God uses the irony of hypocrisy, of Mm -hmm. humans in general um, to bring about, this divine orchestrated as you've, those words you've used, plan, Mm -hmm. Um, that God willed his providence, all of it. And to me, I'm saying that to simply say Monday, just kind of for a moment, put me in awe of the irony of a simple kiss Mm -hmm. that I've never really noticed. And as you've brought forth, really what has brought irony throughout the whole thing Mm -hmm. and how I know this sounds weird but how God uses that irony sure to foretell his plan and that's something he's already foretold in the beginning of time. Right. Um, to me I guess it's just reopening that whole holy cow mm-hmm. just that simple kiss that means so much to especially in that time it was used to betray and to set in motion what God had foretold right. from the beginning of time and right. or Minute minds, <laughs> finite minds for sure. Finite minds won't fully ever to comprehend how and you know why he uses Judas and all that mm-hmm. stuff. We, theologically, we can get into, but it just again just goes and proves and shows how good God is to right. even allow that to happen so that we can be saved in the long run. Right. So, right. anyways, my rant's over. I just it's interesting, <laughs> and that's why I kind of asked that question of the, the that simple kiss mm-hmm. and how ironic. It is that leads to so much. Yeah, there's so much a, there's
1: going to be a lot of irony, hypocrisy, and Ill- illegality as we march forward in the next text, with the, the ecclesiastical trials and then the civil trials. They're all just a farce, mm. um, and the irony is is you can't miss it. Mm. Uh, piggybacking on one thing you said, I I, I see the real genius in how God put everything together right down to the very last detail. Even something is what seems to me in the first reading of it just to be very trivial. Right. I mean, it doesn't even register on my radar half the time. And Then I kind of deep dive in into that text and did some background work on you know, what was a... What was, I don't walk up to my teachers and <laughs> kiss them on the cheek. Right. Right. Um, What's that all about? So I did, you know, it wasn't like I spent hours in it, but I found out what I explained to the congregation. So I see even that as being like, man, that was clever how that all played out and Jesus' response to it and the disciples' response to it and the crowd's response to it. Man, there's a lot going on in that irony of a kiss. That was not a kiss of affection. It was betrayal. That was an identification. Here's the man. Sees him.
0: It's interesting. Yeah, it really is. And from that, you transition into verse 49 through 51, where we see this, how Jesus responds to disciples' question and even action. And after the kiss from Judas, the disciples ask the question. And before Jesus can respond, we know that Peter cuts off Malchus's ear. Um, And Jesus responds by telling them to stop. And then he heals his ear. And then you go on into Matthew chapter 26, verse 52 through 54, where you expand more on this incident in Matthew's gospel. And you point us to the great truth that Jesus corrected a great wrong by healing Malchus's ear. And I love that you pointed that out. And to me, that really stuck with me. And I think sometimes we can go right over that, but um, how he healed his ear. And this picture shows us that Jesus was not guilty of condoning violence, as you said on Sunday. And you emphasize verse 54 of Matthew by stating this. You say the Lord's passion was carefully, divinely orchestrated by the Father. Mm-hmm. And you expand and say that everything was unfolding exactly as Scripture foretold. And as we read in these texts, our ad- admiration for God should height- be heightened, knowing that He has planned for us to be saved. From the existence of creation and to me that's mind-blowing and there's so many questions to that but really my question is how can this how can we take this truth of god's will and purpose in jesus's life and apply it in our own life and what i mean by that is not necessarily obviously jesus's will is mm-hmm. something none of us can do or ever get right. close to but how can we learn from how jesus as you've said in the beginning took and was fully obedient to what he, what he knew was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and how can we learn from that? And, and does that make sense?
1: Sure, um, I'll answer it in, from my own thinking about it in terms of how you're asking the question and how it's you know, rattling in my mind. Sure. But you know, for one thing, when I think about my own salvation and the salvation of God's people, I really am more in awe of God than I ever used to be. Mm. And in awe of God that he would save anyone that really may be the greatest miracle in all of the Scripture that God has chosen from eternity past to set His love upon those that He elects, that He chooses, that He uh, sovereignly, according to His own good pleasure, through nothing that I could ever do to earn that, has chosen to save me. So I'm, first of all, in awe, and I think that would be applicable to any of us who would be willing to step back and look at our salvation knowing there was nothing we could do to affect our salvation, we would be in awe of God. Secondly, I think it humbles us. Hmm. Uh, There's really no place for arrogance at any level of the Christian life, but it's certainly not when it comes down to our salvation. I did nothing to bring about my salvation. It wasn't me in cooperation with God. It was all God... And it's very humbling. All I did was bring my sin to him and bring my mess. <laughs> that was it. It's the only thing I do uh, because I'm, ultimately I'm a dead man, according to Ephesians 2.1. So I think it, 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 we stand in awe of God. We, it's very humbling. And then third, and this may be where you're going, I think it, it compels us to dedicate our lives to him and to want to be more obedient to God, to His Word in the example of Christ. And I see in Christ the perfect example of complete obedience, even obedience that led Him to death on a cross. So I, I don't know, for me, these walking slowly through these narratives as we've been doing and actually through all of Luke has just produced in me a greater you know, fascination and awe of Christ, that he he never wavered. Even in the Gethsemane, he did not waver. If there is another way to accomplish what needs to be accomplished, but not my will, let your will be done. I'd love for this cup to pass, but I'll drink every drop because that's your will and I'm an obedient son. I, I, I admire that. That's good. I stand in awe. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure most people... If they pause and think about it, we're all so busy and we have so many things coming at our, our time and attention. You know, we're worn out. <laughs> I mean, We're all tired. All right. And so we don't maybe stop and think about it as much. But when, I think when the, when the preacher puts it before the people, stop and look at this right. and see what's happening here and see what Jesus endured and didn't waver. Man, the, his resolute nature is on magnificent display. So to me, it it makes me stand in awe. It's very humbling to me, and it compels, I think, all serious disciples to want to be more obedient to God in the example of Christ. So that, that would be my answer as I understand your question. Yeah, you
0: hit the nail right on the head. That's... <laughs> Yeah, I I just it always amazes me and especially as we go through this it's really kind of come back up in, in my thought of you know we especially in our western culture, you know, it's all about us a lot of times. And so it just it amazes me every time when we look at the passion narratives and especially as you have just brought up, the fact that, you know, Jesus the will for Jesus, God's will for Jesus was death. And death on a cross mm-hmm. which none of us will ever experience the way that He experienced it ever. Yeah. And so we'll never be able to fully understand that. But there's so many times we think as humans, and I'm not just over I'm not general generalizing, I'm just saying in general that we think God's will is going to be this nice life, this this or that. When I guess it gives me peace and comfort knowing of some sort that God's will doesn't have to look like what our view or culture makes it view, mm-hmm. whereas God's will in Jesus's life was death, yeah. death for people. And so I guess what I'm saying is it's also a hope that when we're going through things in whether it be persecution or just hard things, knowing that if it's God's will, God's going to take care of us and be with us through it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what always gives me comfort. And you you hit the nail on the head in saying that too. Just a good reminder, at least for myself, mm. um, that. He's always with us and never will leave us, Mm -hmm. as as the verses talk about. Yeah, I think God was with his son. There's
1: no question about it. The only moment that's – not the only moment, but one moment that's truly tragic in this whole narrative of the Lord's passion was that moment on the cross where he cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Jesus had never known any – element of a broken fellowship with God if anyone was ever in full complete harmony and alignment fellowship relationship with God it was Christ and for a fraction of time when he bore the wrath of God for the sins of humanity and that fellowship had to be broken because of the holy and just nature of God um I cannot imagine. I, th- to me, as we deep dive into these texts, to me that had to have been the most brutal moment mm. for Christ. He'd never known that. Right. I. We know it all too well. That's good. But he never, never experienced that, and mm. his crying out. Anyway, we'll get there. But. I'm in awe. I mean, I'm in awe, legitimately in awe, as I understand what awe is. I'm probably not in awe enough, but that's amazing to me. That's, amazing. that's
0: good. And you, you transition and guide us through Luke 22, verse 52 through 53, where then now Jesus addresses the crowd, and you tell us that in this crowd was the chief priests, temple officers, and elders, and Jesus points out to them how cowardly they were behaving. And they came as if he was a criminal, and if he had proven to them he was a dangerous man. And you point out that he was the most loving man that had walked this earth. And God is to read the portion of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus talks about the kingship in the Lord's kingdom. And and it, it would be different than what they understood it as. And Jesus did not retaliate or fight to prove who he was, but he allowed them to wrongly arrest him because he knew and because it was predestined um, before time. And so my question is, how should we, and we've kind of already hit this a little bit, but how should we properly process this truth, especially as we're getting closer to Resurrection Sunday? How can we prepare our hearts, I guess, for a lack of words, mm. um, for what we, is as, as you are ushering us into mm. Um, resurrection Sunday. Yeah,
1: good. Um, I, yeah, it's going to sound like a broken record, I apologize, but it really is one of those instances where you stand back and be amazed. The divine orchestration of the Lord's life, but especially that final week, everything that went on as it led up to His crucifixion and then of course the resurrection. So you stand back and be amazed and then the other thing, too, is just a reminder to us of what Jesus endured in order to reconcile hmm. repentant sinners to to God. It cost him dearly. I can't even fathom what it was like, just the physical part of his ordeal. And then there's, of course, the spiritual part and the relational part and the... Uh, physical agony, the mental anguish, I I just, how did he hold up? It was, Mm. you know, he was exhausted from a very, very long night. The interrogations went on and on. He slapped around, beat up, mocked, slapped, spit on, humiliated, and then they flogged him, which killed most men. You do some research on a Roman flogging, most of them, didn't even survive it, it they, they, they fillet you uh, without getting, you know, grossly graphic. but right. And I didn't appreciate that even until years ago when Mel Gibson produced his movie called The Passion of the Christ. And a man in our church rented out a theater over in Burleson, gave tickets away, and said, whoever wants to go see it, I'll pay for you to go see it. It was a very generous, kind wow. gesture. Beth and I, of course, we wanted to go and support the movie, but when it got to that scene and the portrayal of the of the flogging of Christ, it was very hard. It's the most violent thing I have ever seen on screen. I, I can't watch it again. I'm not even suggesting people go watch it, but it's not your typical movie. What <laughs> What got me was... We had people come into the theater, man. They had their pickles and their popcorn and their Coke. Like they're going to see, you know, the the latest, greatest Hollywood production. From the word go, it was obvious not one of those movies that was going to entertain you. Mm -hmm. But I will say, to Gibson's credit, and I'll be grateful for this, I think, always, was it made me read that text of Scripture differently. You know, it's a sentence. And and Pilate had Jesus flocked. But then they spent some significant time portraying what that was like. I think Gibson probably got it right without it being overly cinematic, but, man, it was brutal. So uh, just how Jesus survived that and then how he made it to the cross and all that he said from the cross. Anyway, my my point is, I think it is not inappropriate for us to stand amazed mm. in the presence of Jesus Christ. Good. What a Savior that He would do this for us! Man, what a savior you know, most of us wouldn't take a beating for someone we love. Mm maybe for a few people we love and care about, but man, Jesus did it for people who who would outright reject him, who were one moment, you know, early in the week, they're Hosanna, Hosanna, and then later in the week, man, they're calling for his crucifixion. And the fact that he would die for people like you and me, it's amazing. I, I don't I, That word is too flippantly thrown around, but when you apply it in the context of what Jesus did for sinners, it really is amazing. It so I, I think that's where this helps us get to Resurrection Sunday when we celebrate that not even death could contain the Lord. Amen. And because He rose again, we are no longer condemned in our sins, and man, we're saved. It's glorious. Thankful Only for God that. could pull
0: all that off. Thankful for that. Yeah. Sure. Well, give me some of your final thoughts. Last words.
1: Well, I hope people will, you know, stay tuned and come prepared on the subsequent Lord's Day gatherings. Uh, I think we're in for some real feasts in the Word of God, if you will. Uh, The text we're moving into, even this Sunday, is a rich text. And I think, you know, it's kind of a crockpot way to do this, to marinate in this a long time so that when we get to that text where they go to the tomb and the stone is rolled away and he is not there Mm. surprise (laughs) anyway that's my last thought hope people will uh, really remain faithful to be in the Lord's house on Sundays and look forward to our times in the scriptures amen yep
0: and if I may add just real quick I think it's a perfect time for especially for our listeners uh, invite a friend what a perfect Sunday the Lord's day invite a friend uh well, specifically, Resurrection Sunday, but any day. Mm-hmm. Um, but invite a friend. What a perfect Sunday, especially if they don't know the Lord. Especially, especially. With the gospel. And, invite a friend um, that could change their life. Absolutely. That, that effort made to invite someone. Absolutely. Yep. Now for our that stupid segment, <laughs> where we tell you what's stupid. So unfortunately for you all, listeners, I'm bringing it today. So it's probably not going to be one of (laughs) our best ones. (laughs) It's all (laughs) stupid. So I'm sure as we all, a lot of us, have Facebook. I was scrolling through Facebook one day, and a high school friend posted this. And so I thought I'd read it real quick just to give some context, and Mm -hmm. I'll try to be quick. But it says, I spoke with a friend who makes $125,000 in his tech job, and he told me he still lives check to check and asked me for the help building a business to make extra income. He told me he makes around $9,500 a month, split between the two paychecks. He says after taxes, insurance, and 401k, he takes home about $3,000 every two weeks. He says his mortgage is $2,000. Utilities around $800, which include gas, electric, internet, trash, water, cable, cell phone. His grocery bills around $900 a month. Gas and insurance for his vehicle is about $500 a month. His car note is $600 and his child care for his daughter is $300 a week. He says he has no room for eating out, clothes, vacations, entertainment, dates, or living life. There are a lot of people with the same experience. People out here struggling even with good jobs. Extra income is a must. Now, I will say before I just go into this (laughs) that I, I think I understand what he is saying, is that especially in our economy, that it's getting harder even people with bigger paychecks are starting to live paycheck to paycheck. But when I first read this, I stopped and thought, that is stupid. <laughs> and the reason why I say it's stupid is because everything that I just rattled off is a choice that he has made in the financial area of life. Right. And so for you to say it's a struggle to live paycheck but to, to paycheck and having a $2,000 mortgage. Mm. Which, if you do, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that. <laughs> right. But there's something catawampus here <laughs> in his in his thought. And all I'm saying is it's stupid to, to have this mentality, I guess, of putting priorities of where they should lie. Right. And uh, I just think it's interesting. And it's my generation, so I yeah. am there with that. It's someone I went to high school with. Right. But I guess my point being is that really – there's no amount of money that's ever gonna change that mentality. I mean, right. I feel like if that's the mentality, then you're always gonna live paycheck to right. paycheck. Right.
1: It wouldn't matter if he made two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Exactly. This guy would probably be, hey, I'm not making enough money. I think it's stupid. It is stupid. And what's stupid is putting it on Facebook. <laughs> that's for sure. Why would you admit <laughs> would that you to put all of it us? On Facebook. <laughs> because of Why course. Why would you put out there, I make a hundred twenty-five thousand dollars a year and I can't make it. And Dude. Of, of course it's adjust your lifestyle, Homer. It <laughs> started a riot and people putting their oh, opinions. Gosh, I can imagine. <laughs> Man, that's stupid. It doesn't take much to get people riled up on that's Facebook.
0: For sure. That's for sure. And I only bring this to the attention of our listeners because we need our priorities. Not we, but just people need priorities in check. Yeah. And if that's the biggest thing in life that we're struggling with. Yeah. Is there's something nine hundred dollars
1: a month on groceries for him and his daughter? Yeah, there's something there. Is he married? I, I don't know.
0: I haven't seen him well, thing about, <laughs> think about
1: the dates. Dude, you don't have to be going on dates. Stayed home with your kid. <laughs> for real. And,
0: you know, in there, I'm just going to make this jab because I can. I don't see any uh, tithe in there. <laughs> there's no charitable. <journal> <laughs> so I mean, I would have been more <laughs> impressed
1: and sympathetic if he just said, after I give 10000 a month to my church, right. I got nothing else to live on. <laughs>
0: Yeah, for sure. We wouldn't even bring. I'd this be up. like,
1: man, I admire this guy. He's giving his entire, oh, he's over, he's underwater by seven grand. How does he go from nine thousand to three thousand? His take-home pay after his, what's he putting in his four hundred one k?
0: He must be trying to I live mean, a good life. Killing it. Uh, yeah, that's. Yeah, I, I guess that's also my point too. Yeah. Is like, dude. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, I don't know. Change some things up. I feel for the guy. I mean, I do too. Yeah. I that's mean,
1: a, if you're if you don't have enough money to spend a grand at the grocery store, <laughs> <laughs> he's probably also getting. I don't these. know what you're eating, but I'm not eating that kind of stuff at the
0: store. Maybe he's going to Whole Foods. Maybe. But anyways, we'll, I'll stop judging this poor guy. Yeah, poor guy. But <laughs> we're very judgmental. It is it is stupid that, you know. Mm-hmm. T- take take better care of. Uh, yeah, that's probably not seeing a
1: lot of genius. No. Today and, The lives of many as they manage their money.
0: Well, we tend to do this often. So if it does offend you, just make sure to email M. Pearson or or A. A A Kitchen, kitchen. either one. either one will take it. M. Pearson doesn't have enough going on. he's a new dad, so he can take it. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. And to end the session, remember: make Christ known by what you say and how you live. Have a great week. Thank you all for listening and be sure to subscribe to Upon Further Review so you never miss an episode. If you have any questions, please be sure to reach out to us at info@fieldstreet.com. At Thanks for tuning in.